So shit, I hope I'm not being racist. Welcome to the Xanadu Cinema Pleasure Dome with Melissa Kirscher and Wendy Bowlesby. Listeners to Xanadu Cinema Pleasure Dome. I am Melissa, and as always, I am joined by the lovely Wendy. Thank you, Melissa. Oh, I'm blushing <laughs> down there in Austin, Texas, while we are up here in Minneapolis. And this week, as we were with last week, we are joined by Pat. Yay! Yay! <laughs> and we are going to uh, continue on our Xanacina holiday tour of all the movies that we watched. We ran a little over on our recording time, so we're just, what? like usual, we just split it into two, and, and, you know, you can enjoy us for an extra few weeks. So. Just another. You well, know. Weeks? Are we going to split it into three, or are we going to keep going? I don't know. It depends. It depends. All right. Anyway. <laughs> <laughs> Should that be a segue to Brooklyn? Actually, I think nope. I'm going to hold Brooklyn a little bit. We'll go back to one where at least two of us have watched it. Uh-huh. Witch. I think we should do The Witch. Witch. Ah. Uh. Yeah. I took, okay, this is where I started getting company. I got Mike Salters and my hubs came. Yay. I'm super excited for Chris to see it. And the endorsement I got from Chris afterwards is, thanks, honey. That was really good. I may not sleep tonight. <laughs> and then today he's like, well, I slept, but I want to make it clear. We don't need to own that movie. <laughs> very good very good there's your endorsement oh melissa will understand this oh, too yes. right at the point where she's playing peekaboo with a baby chris was getting distracted by something like a beverage came or something because <laughs> we're at the alamo and i'm like i'm like hitting him like you need you need to pay attention to the screen because what happens here happens literally in the blink of an eye like pay attention oh good okay you're paying attention and there it is. Mm-hmm. That just happened. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I liked it even better this time. Oh, very good. Yeah. Uh, so finally, I've seen it after, you know, however many months after Fantastic Fest, after missing it at Fantastic Fest. And, so wait, uh, how did yeah. you miss it? But Wendy saw it. There are like six movies uh, running at any given time. But I figured you did more together. That's all. I oh, guess. no. We've. We were just all over the place. Ah. And it, it's also luck of the draw what screenings you get into. Oh, fair Yeah, enough. it's a lottery system. Mm-hmm. And so after the first day, it becomes very much sort of like, I haven't seen this yet. Melissa says this is good, so I'll try to get in to see it this time. Oh, mm-hmm. We had a decent number that we did get to see together, but yeah. this wasn't one of them. Yeah. And uh, yeah, it's it, okay. It is super good. I really, really liked it. It's... Um, it's like uh, the Crucible plus Hitchcock's Lifeboat yes. in its own way, plus a goat. Black <laughs> Philip, you've seen Black Philip now. I have now. seen Black Philip now. <laughs> Butter. Butter. <laughs> Butter. <laughs> but yeah, it's. Um, dear listeners, if you're not familiar with it yet, I know it just came out. It is set in Puritan America. It's a family that is ostracized from their community, so they go off to live by themselves. And it's the father, the mother, and their 
four, four five kids. Four, Five, five kids. kids. It's the, the twins, Newborn, the boy, win- the girl, and the baby. Yeah. So seven people, and they build their little farm, and they're just surrounded by these black woods. And the children are forbidden from entering the woods, because seriously, you can get lost in that shit back in the, also, those days. And uh, like so for critters. Man, there's critters and all sorts of dangers, you know. Sure. Indians. Mm-hmm. Like there was still, this was well, Native the 1600s. Americans. Pardon me. Oh my God. I said that out loud. <laughs> Native Americans. Mm-hmm. Like there like there were mm-hmm. real dangers in those woods. Oh yeah, absolutely. So this movie is almost entirely atmosphere. Yep. Yes. It is quiet, patient, and very, very eerie. And you don't quite know what's going on you know i mean eventually you catch on but it's it's very um it's a very patient movie it's not slow though it's not slow it's just quiet and it kind of bides its time and i understand after reading some stuff about it that the people who made it made it incredibly realistic in what life was really like then oh yes the story is kind of all drawn from folklore at the time and they were using both folklore that was written down at the time and diaries and kind of mashing them together into this story. So literally, there are some lines from some of the characters that are taken straight from these diaries. Yeah. And it is really pretty amazing. It's it's hard to decide uh, which uh, superlatives to lay on this movie. <laughs> what I really appreciate about it is... This movie makes it clear how much different their belief was back then. Yes. These people believe, like the children believe in Satan and hell in the same way that kids today believe in Santa Claus. Mm -hmm. It is real. It is right next door. It is something that will happen without a doubt. It is concrete. Yeah. And their parents are not much further off of that. Mm Mm-hmm. And it really does come through. It's not something that you like struggle to understand. Why would they believe this? Like this movie really makes you feel like, oh, of course, that's what would happen. If that's the way you see the world, there is literally sin around every doorstep. Yeah, absolutely. Every every tree is hiding something awful. Like any of us could be a witch. It could happen without us, us knowing. When something bad happens, it doesn't just happen. There is a reason because... Anything good that happens in your life has to come from God. Therefore, anything bad that happens can't just be bad and Mm -hmm. it can't come from God. God is love. Therefore, God is either punishing you or it's the devil. Right. And so when things start to go bad for them, it must be the devil. It can't just be that he's a fucking bad farmer. (laughs) (laughs) Because that's the thing that also you can't help but notice. These people go off into the woods all by themselves. And it's like, what is your long-term plan here? Because God called you to do it. You expect God will provide and somehow, therefore, you will suddenly magically know how to hunt and how to farm, except that you don't. One of the things that they do is he's like, we need to go get more corn to go trade. The corn is still sitting out, laying on the ground on the stalks. Mm -hmm. And then they're like, the corn is bad. Of course it is, you fucking idiots. <laughs> of course it's rotten. Oh, go forth and God will provide. But he didn't actually learn anything before going. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like he knows yeah. how to chop wood. He's really good at that. He's gotten a lot of practice at that. 
Yeah. And the way it starts, what is really blatantly obvious, and we mentioned this in the Fantastic Fest episodes too, is that this is very much about the oppression of femalehood. Oh, very much so. You can't miss it at all. Although the thing that I was really impressed by is a lot of times in these kind of period set movies, there's this temptation by the writers to kind of insert a character that's a little bit more modern sensibility. So you have the path inward from the audience and they don't have that in this picture the characters are very true to kind of the the beliefs and mores of the time without going oh this one character is just a little bit more progressive so that's the character that's our rosetta stone for the audience so normally you'd have somebody questioning the, the belief like this seems silly yeah um your rosetta stone is the main character thomason because Mm -hmm. she is so real and Mm -hmm. likable and present that you can't and because the way things become her fault when it's clearly not her fault just in the family dynamics then when things start to go bad you can't help but be like well she got blamed before when it wasn't her fault and now we're blaming satan like the power dynamics because of where she is in the family it it really draws out like of course this is what's going to happen of course it's all going to start to fall apart of course they're going to start basically eating each other i loved this time around because it was so much more obvious when the two kids are laying there still the Mm -hmm. two little ones and he's like yelling at them and they're pretending to be all possessed but the minute he picks them up they both snap out of it yeah and that's the moment of that's the salem witch trials right there yeah children having power over adults Mm -hmm. because Mm -hmm. they have no power and they are not listened to and they are disrespected and they are their property and they're shut up. Like, of course, a bunch of young females realized they could tell people what tr- what reality was and they'd be listened to and they could exert power over their whole community. Of course they did. Mm-hmm. Now, that's not what's going on in this movie, though. No, it's not. But, <laughs> I, but it, you I, can't I do help love, but make the connection. I do love Thomason. Uh, that character is – and the actress is amazing too. But yes. she is so she, – she is so real in terms of young teenager. Yet she's put into this this structure, this societal structure. And the the things that become recognizable to us at, in the audience are the, the the moments of little rebellion, the um, the moments of torturing her her siblings because yeah. her siblings are being brats. Yeah, like of course you would do that as an elder child. Yeah, and the, the frustrations and all that stuff, and because everybody went through that. Oh yeah, <laughs> yeah, and and it's it's so genuine. It's really nicely done and the way it plays out by the end Mm -hmm. you're like you know what if this is christianity yeah i choose the devil (laughs) oh hey i didn't tell you the trailers that i got for this one first off near dark is gonna show at terror tuesday in march oh that's cool i know also we got the trailer for the invitation which mm-hmm. played a fantastic fest and midnight special, which is an Al- it's a draft house recommends title. Tim league has a personal midnight introduction. special is by uh, starring Michael Shannon. Yeah. That is directed by the same guy who did take shelter in mud. Yeah. He's a fantastic director. Yeah. And he's paired with Michael Shannon again. Uh, and it's a genre. It's amazing, by the way. And it's a genre oh. sci-fi film. So it's a yeah. draft house recommends. And then I got a red band trailer for the green room. Oh, good. Yeah. You're, you're going to like Green Room. 
I can't wait. Oh, my pairing at Chris's suggestion for this, ginger snaps. <laughs> oh, that nicely your, chosen. Nicely that chosen. would be your uh, double feature pairing for the witch. So I feel like we, we should move to something that's actually kind of similar in its isolation sense. Okay. Um, I'll talk about room for a moment. Room. Oh, good choice. Yeah. I like, I like the way you segue, my yeah. friend. So Room um, is, you know, one of the many films that are up for Best Picture this year. Um, it's quite good. It's very good. It's um, uh, the, the biggest value in it is the performances because it is completely held together by two just fantastic performances by... Uh, Brie Larson. Brie Larson. I, it's like, her name is a cheese. Her name is a cheese. Brie Larson. <laughs> and uh, the young kid who, well, plays her son. And, you know, we all know how rare really good kid actors are. And oh, this yeah. kid is quite good. Oh. And if he didn't work, none of the movie would work. Because the movie very much centers around him. But, how old is he? Um, About Five? Yeah, five. Well, in the movie, he's five. He might be a little bit older okay. in real life. So the story is, uh, it's it focuses on this woman who was abducted seven years before and was thrown into a shed to live. And yep. she's locked in there by her captor. And she has been there the entire seven years. She has not gone, gone outside since. And... Two years in, she got pregnant, and that's where the son came from. And they're both living in this shed. Right. And so if you remember the movie Castaway, where, you know, everybody thinks of uh, Tom Hanks with his volleyball and forgets that it, that's only like the first third of the movie and the rest of it is Tom Hanks going home and like readjusting to society. Yep. Yeah. This is the same structure, which is, yeah. I'm I'm sorry to say it's kind of a spoiler because um, the way it transitions between the two acts is uh, really remarkable. It's it's a, just a really good piece of very tense filmmaking. They get out of the shed. They, they, they do eventually get out of the shed. And it is all about the relationship between the mother and the child. And this is a child who has never seen outside before. When the movie starts, it's his fifth birthday. They make a cake because she's getting food from the outside like once a week. And she's trying to make like a quote, normal childhood best that she can out of whatever is in the room. And she's trying very hard to explain the world to him just only within the walls. Like she never tells him there's anything outside of the room. Like the room is the entire world. And how does they fix the, fix the door situation? You know, there's a door going outside mm -hmm. and well, food comes from the door. He hasn't started asking okay. those questions yet. So there comes a turning point where she decides this can no longer fly and she goes she starts bringing the walls down you know figuratively the all right kid i need to tell you i've been lying to you all along there's more out there there's another side to these walls the stuff you there is a tv in there and she has explained it's just pictures on a tv no that stuff is real and and you'd start seeing the kid you know first of all denying it but once he starts understanding a little bit it's he, he starts questioning, okay, this I see on TV is real, but how about this? And it's a cartoon. And he trying to oh, sure. like readjust, figure out 
what is real and you know eventually when they get out how the kid adjusts to the world outside it's super fascinating and it's you know of course very very dramatic and you know pull at your heartstrings sort of stuff for the most part very genuine um there are a few scenes that are a little on the twee side where it's like ah you're just being cute with the script kind of but <laughs> but no for the most part it's a solid little film oh good okay yeah is it based on the book series that was out for a while it's not a series it was a best-selling novel just yeah. one single novel i thought it was four of them anyways mm-hmm. so it is based on the book that i my that's my understanding yeah i'm, I'm not sure i wasn't aware of the book so um yeah and and of course you know there have been real incidents like this I mean, oh yeah a case what two years ago about the two women kept in captivity and there was a child and and all that stuff so um yeah it's really well executed movie what are the disturbing elements it cause... is not nearly as disturbing as you'd think i mean it it is very disturbing there are a lot of disturbing things in it but it's not played for horror um since it focuses very, very much in the kid's perspective. And he is being very well guarded by his mother. He still has the bright excitement of a child. And you kind of get that joy of discovery for him. Even though a lot of this stuff is very hard, he starts, you know, he encounters a dog for the first time. Or, you know, it's the, uh. the all these joys coming along, along with all the hardships of adjusting to the big world outside. At least they have the TV, so it's not just like, what the heck is this four-legged something? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. 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 Um, looks like Room is one novel by Emma Donahue. Okay. Okay. It's quite good. It's quite good. All right. What next? I think you and Pat should talk about race. Okay. The race. <laughs> no, it's just race. It's just race. Is, all right. It's just race. Um, which, duh. There's a double meaning in that. Uh, uh, I see what they did there. <laughs> uh, uh, I like the poster quite a lot. I actually like the poster art yeah, quite it's a good. lot. All right. So if you don't, if you hadn't realized this, this is the biopic about Jesse Owens, whose name is actually James Clarence, I want to say. But Jesse comes from his initials. JC. Hmm. I did not know that. I didn't actually know a lot about Jesse Owens. So for me, was this uh, a great biopic? No. No. But was it still successful? Yeah, it's still entertaining. It's still like very few of us actually know that much about Jesse Owens anymore other than, oh, yeah, Jesse Owens, the black sprinter, Berlin, Olympics. Like, that's pretty much it. That's what I got. And it's always a good reminder, especially in this climate, to go back to what overt racism looked like and remind ourselves how very little we've come from there. <laughs> In some uh, ways, yeah. Yeah. So it's got graph by the way, motion graphics. Have we all noticed that everybody's in love with those now in movies? Yeah. Rather than giving you like a little title of like we're in Rome, they're just they have to like make it all fancy with the mm-hmm. letters. Oh yes. Yeah. I should learn how to do that and be rich. I'm just gonna <laughs> say that right now. Oh come on, just wait five more weeks, there'll be a plug in for it to do it on your iPhone. Yeah, probably true. It's got a fucking hell of a cast. It does. It's got Jeremy Irons. It's got um, broadcast news dude. What's it? I'm getting Albert a phase Brooks? again. No, no. no uh, uh, William Hurt. Yes. Thank you. It's got William Hurt. It's got Jason Sudeikis. He does a great job. Straight dramatic role. 
Nice. He's, he's really good. I, I really like, because he plays the um, college coach. This starts as Jesse Owens goes away to college. That's where the story starts. He's already like made a splash at some sporting event. In Chicago. And, yeah. And and Jason Sudeikis is the the coach of track and field at this college where he's chosen to go. And, you know, why did you why did you come here? You could have gone anywhere after Chicago. Yeah, well, my coach told me you were the best. So I came here to you. And the relationship these two develop is really terrific because uh, the coach character is absolutely colorblind. I mean, not colorblind, but he didn't care what color you are. He doesn't even in a weird sort of way. He knows that it's a factor but it's nothing about how he thinks of you. Are you going to do the work or aren't you? And there's a really, I mean, it's a really brilliantly realized moment where the white football players come in and the black track players are still in there like, you need to get out so we can use the room. And they're yelling. And Jason Sudeikis is like, sit down. And he's looking at Jesse while all these people are yelling. And he's like, do you understand that you can't listen to these people when you're out on the track? It's just you. And no matter what they're yelling at you, it doesn't matter because when it comes down to it, it's just you out there. And it's a really nice moment. It really highlights both, you know, like what's going to play out in the rest of the scene. I really liked that scene. I thought it was like, yeah, that's a really good way of writing that. I liked it. There were some fabulous racism moments that even though it's, uh, fabulous racism fabulous racism well <laughs> like the, they talk about it's like you know one of the other coaches or athletic director type people are out there it's like makes a comment of how this coach's track team is being referred to as model t mm-hmm. you know any color you want as long as it's black mm-hmm. and and the other coach is like well yeah but if you if you allowed them on the football team maybe they'd some would go there but since they can't they all come to me mm-hmm and yeah, he doesn't really care about the color. He cares about medals. Right. Yeah. He cares about winning. Right. Yeah. And that's the, it. Uh, mm-hmm. There's a fun, I would assume, a very important point in Jesse Owen's life. Like I said, I know very little about the man. But what caught my attention was, he. so he goes to, ba- in this movie, I don't know if it's true. In this movie, it's his like first track meet with the college. And at these three specific events, they give you the time of day that he does it. Like they're like 3.55 p.m. And I'm like, why are they giving you the time? Because by the end, they point out that Jesse Owens set, broke and set three world records in 45 minutes time mm-hmm. with an injured back. Mm-hmm. He was a phenomenon. Mm-hmm. Like, And that was when I was like, oh, that's, that's kind of cool to know. And then, of course, once you – and what's also playing out on the flip side is – the Olympic committee having to decide whether or not to boycott the games and going over and blah, blah, blah. And oh my God, Hitler's a mind. Hitler's just a cameo in the background. Goebbels. <gasps> the actor oh. playing Goebbels is so oh. amazing. Just- he's cold. He's a fucking lizard person, oh, man. He really is. Oh, wow. he's so good. It just this- t- and they even have like a sound cue, like this sort of weird mechanical string noise like when they when they introduce him and here's Goebbels <laughs> like subtle and yet really appropriate because he's totally he's got no affect and he just stares and he oh, yeah. oh. sociopath psychopath serial killer I mean just the look on he's Ooh. just and you know like when he walks into the room all conversation stops all the men stand 
yeah. and just watch him move. And yeah, there's a part of respect to it, but you can tell it's also terror. Mm-hmm. He's a German actor named Barnaby Mecherat. Yeah, I was he's, just looking him he's, up. He's he's really beautiful and he's really effective. And the translator for him is Lenny Reifenstahl by yes. Melissa. <laughs> By the way, Melissa. So you get Lenny Reifenstahl. I was super excited by that. And she's, in a weird sort of way, I really liked that character because it plays up that this is somebody who believed in doing well for her country, but ultimately she was an artist who just wanted to do the best film she could. And Mm -hmm. of course, history has since been like, Lenny Reifenstahl, the triumph of the will. Oh my God, what a horrible person. Well, she kind of... Kind of was chaotic neutral, let's just put it that way. But yes, but yes. it's very obvious, yes. you know, she's like, you know, I need this. I need these many cameras. I need this kind of angle. This is what I want. And he's like, these are my Olympics. These are my games. She's like, yes. And without my film, no one will remember them. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And you get your room, you get your yeah. cameras. And, mm-hmm. and, uh, I like, I don't know if this stuff is true, but like Goebbels is like, no, I don't want to film the, the final event that Jesse is likely to get the gold in. And she's like, uh, you do not tell my camera people who what they do and do not film. Yes, we will film this. Mm-hmm. So I really, I really like that. And then at the end, after everything's over, she like asked Jesse, "Will you come out and let me film you doing the long jump, so I can get close ups?" Mm-hmm. So and so the fact that whatever she apparently didn't have. Like the way they played yeah. in the movie yeah. is her issues are not about him being black. Her issues are about, I want to do make this film for the betterment of my country. Yeah. I've, I've, I've read a lot about uh, Riefenstahl and, uh, you know, seen many documentaries fe- featuring her because she was around for a good long time. She only passed away a couple of years ago. But um, she, when I say chaotic neutral, she is one of those people where, yeah, she didn't care if she was working for the Nazis or anybody else as long as she was working, which, of course doesn't necessarily make her a hero of any sort. She is also one of those people who, you know, just kind of brushed her hands of the political associations of the Nazis. What does it matter? I'm getting to make my art. Yeah, definitely. She had no qualms about filming Jesse Owens. And um, she often called people back so she could get close shots and, you know, reshoot, quote, scenes so she could get a different angle for her documentary. And it's even mentioned because he's like, I'll do it again. But, you know, this isn't the jump I did. And Mm -hmm. she's like, but you did the jump. Yeah. So let's show a jump. Mm -hmm. This way, people who weren't there will still remember what happened years later. Mm -hmm. Yeah. We're going to do a jump. Yeah. She did that all the time. The triumph of the will was taken over days. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely. But yeah, so she was a great little character in it. There were some things that were flat out inaccuracies. (laughs) I know. I know. There are things that were like we couldn't find out because Tim and I did a little research Mm -hmm. on it's like, hey, what about this? What about that? And uh, because he saw it in when he was in Sioux Falls and we talked about it afterwards and he couldn't find anything as to whether or not the alcoholic coach really was an alcoholic coach. But it seemed like, oh, look, it's an alcoholic coach again in the movie. (laughs) He drank a lot, but I don't feel it wasn't the stereotypical alcohol is your problem. It's getting in the way of you doing your coaching job. He was a coach who drank. He was a coach who drank a lot. But yes, I don't think he was an alcoholic in that. I don't think he got in the way. I agree with you. But to call it alcoholic coach is like, oh, and here's this stereotype of and the young athlete will help him face the fact that he has problems too. That's not the vibe. That's not what's going on. But like when um, Jesse Owens, uh, after winning his first gold medal and is brought upstairs to uh, meet the Fuhrer and Mm -hmm. the Fuhrer is not there in the movie. 
And they're like, we can't do this, you know. And the, Jeremy Irons' character says, tell the Fuhrer that he has to congratulate all athletes or none. It's like, okay, there's a bit of a stretch there. What happened in real life is the Fuhrer was there, but it wouldn't shake hands with him. Right. And in the movie, they had it so the Fuhrer wasn't there at all. Hmm. It's like, oh, he couldn't even that's, be in the same room. That's a weird change. Well, no, because like- it's a very specific thing. And then uh, actually, in an interview with Jesse Owens years later, he was always really mad that that came up, that people told the story of the Fuhrer left the room before he got there. And he's like, no, he was in the room when I got there. He nodded at me and I nodded back at him. That's what actually happened. Yes, it was insulting because he was shaking the white people's hands and other things and he did not shake my hand. But just tell that story is really mad and what also made him mad. And they do show in the, the credits thing of, you know, during the credits there, you know, have like the after things, you know, and 20 years later, five mm-hmm. years later, that kind of stuff. And he's like, the White House, however, never acknowledged what I did. Yeah. The head of the Nazi state. Gave him more notice. Was there <laughs> and noticed me. Mm-hmm. But the president of the United States didn't. Jesus. <laughs> and when they gave an, a dinner, like this is in the movie, when they gave a dinner in his honor back in the States, mm-hmm. he still had to enter through the through the service interest. Oh, God. They stopped oh. him at the front. Oh, he, he's, he's the guest of honor. At like the Waldorf Astoria type hotel. Oh, yeah. Geez. And not in the South, in a Northern city. Yeah. Because the thing that we like to believe now is that segregation and separate and equal was only in the South, but it wasn't. Oh, no, 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 no. I was. I, I want to point out. I was actually getting tense during the competition scenes, even when I knew he was going to win. It was yes. really shot really well. Yes, I really love the character of Lutz. Lutz is the German track and field star, and he went head to head with him on the long jump. And on Lutz's third jump, he fouled. So at that moment, Jesse had won, but Lutz gestured to him and said, "Please, I would like you to take your third jump," and then took the victory lap with him, and then. It's true. They actually became friends. Mm-hmm. Until Lutz died. Until Lutz, because Lutz had been friendly to him at the Olympics, he was punished by being put on the front lines during the war and he died in the war. But like, so this interaction that happens in the movie with Lutz is super great. And like truly the spirit of athletic competition and, and Lutz is like, I wish you well in the race tomorrow. And he's like, don't get me wrong. I just want to watch you beat somebody else instead of me. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I love that. And the fact that he's like, yeah, my country's going crazy. And I must say when, at least in the theater I was in, which was pretty packed, there was a whole lot of, yeah, going in the audience. <laughs> I was like, yeah, our country's going a little crazy too with mm-hmm. the whole racism yeah. shit. Yeah. And of course, the way Jesse got his fourth medal is he was put – he. And I have I didn't read up on this, Pat, but you may know more about it. He was put into the relay race. And in the movie, it is not an event he was supposed to compete in. In the movie, the way they set it up is there are only two Jews on the American track and field team who happen to both be in the relay race. And Goebbels goes to Jeremy Irons and uses some political pressure. I, it doesn't matter what to say the Jews won't compete. Put some either either don't field a team or take the Jews off the team. But we we will not lose to Jews. And so they replace the Jews with two black people. <laughs> <laughs> I couldn't help but just be like, that's actually kind of beautiful. <laughs> However, in the Nazi belief system, blacks rated way higher than Jews. 
Yeah. Mm-hmm. They really did. Jews should be nowhere on the planet. Uh, the fact that blacks took over, you know, or had a whole continent was okay. Granted, they wanted to take over it eventually. Um, blacks did right rank a whole lot higher and the fact that Jesse Owens had already won a bunch of things uh, didn't bother them nearly as much and yes the two Jewish uh, athletes were scratched at the last minute there's not any we couldn't find anything as to whether or not um, besides just rumor and the rumor's been around for a long time that the US team was pressured to remove them because they didn't seem to be injured or anything uh, but yes they were they were scratched at last minute yeah, I liked Race. I, I do give it a thumbs up. I think that we're getting a lot of films about important black people right now, and I don't think that's any surprise. Mm-hmm. Like, I think that is entirely correct and good for us right now to be reminded of where we came from and what the truth of our past is. Mm-hmm. And it, this is the sweet spot of history plus sports flick. So <laughs> I'm like, oh, hoo-hoo. it absolutely gets the positive modifier for an underdog sports flick. Indeed. Yeah. Except yeah. for the fact that when you really think about all the world records he was beating, it's not much of an underdog except in the sociological perspective of right. just being really hard to do this. My double feature pairing for this one is The Woman in Gold, starring the wonderful Helen Mirren and Ryan Reynolds in his non-sexy persona, which is a persona that I prefer um, because it's about Austrian World War II reparations. So oh, there, yeah. Is, yeah. there is a connection there. Okay, what's next? All right, Wendy, you should talk about Brooklyn. Oh, God. <laughs> I didn't hate it. I want to make it clear I didn't hate it. Now, okay. I also want to give you the context for, for this and that this is the one that I went over to the other theater. Okay. This other theater, it's an older theater. It was not stadium seating. And oh. that's relevant because it was also packed with a lot of old people. <laughs> okay. And okay. so I don't like... So here's all of, I want to point this out because there's a lot of variables at play here. Like, cause the crowd at the Alamo, you have to admit, skews younger. Right. It right. does. It's yeah. a much hipper environment. It might be stairs in a stadium environment. Those are harder. I don't know. Maybe this is their neighborhood one, but like, I'm not joking. The place was packed and I was one of the youngest people there, except for other young people who came with their parents. <laughs> or their grandparents. <laughs> and so I want you to keep that in the background because my review on this online today was one phrase, hashtag Oscars so white. <laughs> I don't know why we're still making this movie. Again and again and again. Okay. Irish girl, no prospects in Ireland. Um, we're talking like 19, late 30s or four, early 40s. 19 so right after the war she can't get any kind of real job there's no prospects so they use a family connection of a priest who finds her a job and a boarding house and so she goes to america to for opportunities all by herself Mm -hmm. she leaves behind her older sister and her mom and the life that she knows she's incredibly homesick uh starts night classes meets an italian boy falls in love and then her sister unexpectedly dies So she wants to go back home to visit and her boyfriend is like, but I want you to marry me. And this, and there's a lot of things that are problematic about that scene and that I really feel like she is pressured to marry him Mm -hmm. when she doesn't really want to. But on the other hand, she points out, she's like, why isn't a promise good enough? And his valid response is, if you can make me that kind of promise, why can't you just go through with it? (laughs) 
It's like, uh, it's a good point. And if you don't want to go through with it, maybe your promise isn't the promise you think it is. And maybe you should be talking about it, but ultimately, so they get married in secret. She goes back to visit. She, now that her sister is gone, the life her sister had is available to her. Like the job her sister had, she's capable of doing now. There's a nice young man and blah, blah. And her mom clearly wants her to stay because she kept it secret that she's married Mm -hmm. until finally she's like, she, there's a hateful old shrew in the town and the hateful old shrew finds out from gossip coming back because weirdly there's still a gossip, a lot of gossip happening between the Irish community in Brooklyn and Ireland because they can still phone and telegraph and write letters. And this old shrew is like, I know you're married because my friend's daughter saw you in city hall getting married and you haven't told anybody and ha ha ha. And her response, it's a great response is I had forgotten what this town was like. Never mind, I'm going home. And she goes back, and her last scene is that she walks up to her husband and he's happy to see her. It's a very small, very simple story. What elevates it is, it is beautiful. Okay. And the, the clothes are beautiful. And it is nostalgic as fuck. And Saoirse Ronan mm-hmm. is luminescent. I, You cannot take your eyes off of her. You know how we talked about Inspector, the blonde chick is kind of, who is she? Sarah Sharonin does not have that problem. Mm-hmm. Her eyes are arresting. Her face is so fluid and expressive. Like she elevates, honestly, what is a trite piece of ugh, just nostalgia porn. She elevates it to something that apparently has now been Oscar uh, nominated for an Oscar and whatever. <laughs> is she nominated for an Oscar? I, I thought, I thought I think she so. was. I think she yeah. was. Yeah, I think she is. I mean, I've seen her in other things, and she's amazing. Like, she's in Hannah. Yeah. She's, yeah. she's amazing. Mm-hmm. But, I mean, and it's a great cast. It's got Julie Walters. It's got Jim Broadbent. The script, I mean, there's nothing super memorable about the script, but it's pleasant enough. But here's the thing. Why are we still telling this white person immigration story like it's important? Like, why do we still feel like we need to prop up this narrative? What makes this different is it's female-centric, yay. Mm -hmm. But it's still a really fucking white story. I can't help it. I mean, it's weird for me as a white woman to be saying this, but I'm getting really goddamn tired of seeing white people's stories. (laughs) Like, considering that immigration in this country, yeah, it started with – it was the Irish and the Italian – but why why are we not talking about the Latinos? Why are we not talking about the fucking slaves? That's some immigration going on right there. But when we do, the only stories we tell about black people are when they're poor and slaves. Mm-hmm. Like, oh, I'm just, it really set off my rage at <laughs> white privilege. This This whole movie reeks of white privilege. And it just... I couldn't get beyond that. It doesn't even matter. Like that. Is it a fine movie? Yeah. It's bland. It's obvious, but watch it. Maybe you'll like it. Uh, But the thing, (laughs) here's the trouble. I was trying to think of a different immigration story to recommend. And I couldn't, I couldn't think of one that was, was telling the story I wanted. What I want, I want Lin-Manuel Miranda's parents, their immigration story, because they are both immigrants. Mm Mm-hmm. Think about that. That means they immigrated, what, 30 years ago? Mm -hmm. So not that long ago. I want to hear the immigration story of people coming here in like 1970, 1980, building a brand new life. 
and not as poor immigrants. They were academics. There are so many different immigration stories to tell. Why are we still tell- talking about the goddamned Irish? I did just look it up. Um, it is a British movie, not an American movie. I'm not surprised. I mean, it it reeks of European sensibilities. It's Oscar bait through and through, people. I'm not <laughs> arguing that. I'm just saying it is a British movie. So they're making this movie about what an Irish person is going to America. Yeah. But it's mostly about America's great. It's the land of opportunity. Aren't we a melting pot where one type of white person can fall in love with another type of white person? Oh, but 50 years ago, the Italian wasn't considered white. That's true. I know. I know. All right. What's next? (laughs) The final one. The The one that. Final one. And we've seen, all three of us have seen this one Hail Caesar. Hail Caesar. Hail Hail Caesar. Caesar. Really? Did we get through everybody? Yeah, we did. Yeah, yeah. yeah. This is all of them. This is all of them. So I figured we'd we'd end on Hail Caesar, something that we all three of us have seen. Actually, before going into Hail Caesar, there's a uh, because I I saw Hail Caesar like two weeks ago. Okay, and for I can't remember which one. There was a trailer for a movie that's coming out that is uh, the movie's called The Young Messiah. Now I don't know if you guys have seen it yet. Mm -mm. It's a movie about. Basically, Jesus as like a seven-year-old or what? something. Yeah, no, no, it's coming out soon. Um, actually, before oh, and I they don't... put it in front of Hail Caesar. No, 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 no. I, no, I'm telling you this story while we're okay. talking about Hail Caesar. It was a movie before. I was a one of the trailers before uh, Race. Okay, it was like five or six trailers, and they were all feely. Most of them were religiousy, also. Oh. Um, like there's a miracle one about a kid who has some sort of weird disease falls from a tree and gets cured. Like, oh, that happened or something. Anyways, this one is about this. I think like seven, ten year old Jesus. It's uh, Sean Bean is in it. Now, the reason I mention this is <laughs> Sean Does he Bean. Die? Uh, probably not. Sean Bean plays a Roman centurion. Who sent <laughs> off to find out the truth about the story of a messiah. And all huh. I could do while watching this trailer is not laugh so loud that people around me are like, what's wrong with her? Because it's the story of Hail Caesar. Yes. Only as a kid, <laughs> not as an adult. Yes. I'm like, oh my God. <laughs> so Sean great. Bean's doing the role of um, the... the Baird Lockhart. Yes. Like Baird Whitlock. Baird Whitlock. Whitlock? Lockhart? Whitlock. Whitlock. She's looking it up. on. The I- I've got it right in front of me. So yes, Sean Bean plays that role. And I'm just like, oh, oh, oh my God, this is so funny. <laughs> As even he's like, even on a horse in the centurion garb with like another centurion next to him. Mm-hmm. And they're talking about this. And I'm like, oh. Oh my God! Was Hail Caesar made after this script was out, and is like that a particular dig at this movie, or just happens to be that way? Well, that plot is is you know uh, very similar to you know the the general gist of um, it was still hilarious of Ben Hur, yeah, yes, yeah. oh yeah, I mean, oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Hail, I mean, there Hail are so Caesar many. Caesar is Ben Hur so yeah. closely, yes, yeah. So, so, oh God, I, it, it was still yeah. just one of those have to tell you the story of a trailer from right before the race about this thing. And yeah, it's this little moppet, long haired, curly kid, curly haired thing. White. Sorry, it's not like 
Oh, yeah, totally. So, no. Jesus so white. Jesus so white. Hashtag. Hashtag Jesus so white. <laughs> oh, God. Yeah, white and blonde in Hail Caesar. <laughs> well, no, yeah. this one looked more maybe Italian or Greek, but definitely mm, not. Okay, that's better. But still. Yeah. But still not. Yeah, no. Yeah. Oh. oh. So anyway. I love Josh Brolin so much. Oh, God. Yes. Yes. Oh, like goodness. he has grown into his face and I want I want more of him. Like he had me at El Pancaco. We all know that. Well, yeah, yeah. But but this this is the movie that cemented for me that I love Josh Brolin so much. Well, I, I know I keep saying this, but, you know, I'm so glad somebody about 10 years ago decided to turn the Brolin faucet back on because, you know, he was he was acting a bit in the 80s as a youngin, but then he lay dormant and then came back. <laughs> and, like and like a cicada. Yeah, like a cicada, like a 17-year cicada. And boom, there he is again. And, and suddenly he just... Keeps and he's showing perfect. up, and he's great. He's just great. He was meant to be a craggy, bitter, hard-bitten character. Oh yeah, right. Yeah. Uh, uh, and what a cast! Oh, the entire uh, cast is just glorious. Oh, and they're I, just all having a great time. I absolutely adore Hail Caesar. I will fully acknowledge that the story just wanders and yeah. kind of just doesn't go anywhere, and then it stops. But I don't fucking care. <laughs> well, it's beautiful. Like, it is beautiful. It's Roger Deakins oh, shooting on film. Roger Deakins has outdone himself. I was just astounded by how beautiful it was. It was just, well, and, it's so gorgeous. And as a fan of the classic movies, yeah. like, all the little touches that I'm like, mm-hmm. fuck yeah, that's Esther Williams. Oh my God. Oh my God. Did we all notice the heavy pancake makeup on the male dancers in the No Dames number? Yep. Because... That is so very specific to what they looked like in those dance numbers mm-hmm. that I was like, oh my God, that that is, thank you for getting the pancake, the look of the pancake makeup right. Yes. Yep. Yes. Yep. Oh, and George Clooney does vaguely dumb so well. <laughs> yeah. I love it. I love it when he spouts intellectual nonsense that he does not at his core understand. Yes. And Josh Brolin slapping the shit out of him and the faces he was making. And apparently the trivia tells me he really was slapping him. Awesome. So he would slap him and God love him. George Clooney would make that face right after. <laughs> That's there, good acting. There are, I, this is a, you know, like most Coen Brothers movies, this is a movie that is just chock full of great actors given fun little shit to do. David, <laughs> David Crumholds just yelling in the background. Oh, God. Just, or, just well, random, like, what is he doing back there? Or, or the scene oh. between Alden Ehrenreich and Ray Fiennes as 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 Ray Fiennes is trying to coach him through his line, and it just goes forever. What did it twer so simple? <laughs> what, what, what did it twer so simple? What did it twer so trippingly? Would that it would would that it were twer so simple trippingly? No, don't say trippingly. <laughs> <laughs> well, that, it's complicated. It's complicated. <laughs> oh my god! Oh my god! It was and, hilarious. And Francis McDormand showing up for one scene and oh, but nailing oh. the shit out of oh, it. Oh, and, yeah, and flip, and, flip, flap, flap, cigarette. Uh, oh, I shouldn't wear a scarf. 
and all the Erwin first breath she first breath after being choked by the editing machine is to take a drag on her cigarette. <laughs> <laughs> she doesn't even breathe air. She's like <gasps> <laughs> it just sucks in that's a better a better hit off of the nicotine that way oh probably <laughs> but yeah you brought up alden ehrenreich he is mesmerizing oh he's I amazing want more of a career for that young man and i oh love my that god and that character is great because he's set up um dear listeners he is the um kind of the uh the cowboy the good john guy wayne. cowboy the john not, wayne. not john wayne he's I, I feel like he's more of a roy rogers you know he's Fair. the one with the the guitar and you oh know, yeah kind of the, absolutely yeah. yeah and uh you know kind of acrobatic but you know, not really tasked very much on the acting side. He can do amazing acrobatics and he looks good on film, but that's it. And I love that he's kind of played not so bright, but when he encounters Mannix with the briefcase full of money, suddenly he has all this insight. Like, they found a way to tap into, you know, whatever prior knowledge of life he got prior to his acting career and it's and it's like oh you you do have smarts they just don't usually apply to the world you're currently in (laughs) well and also yeah what he's being asked to do doesn't require smarts and being smart and being a good actor aren't necessarily remotely the same thing and i love the scene the constant squeaky shoe yeah and the way he walks like he sort of lumbers in and (laughs) (laughs) or or, oh my god and there's clancy brown and robert picardo and scarlett johansson as the esther williams character she's she's terrible perfect Bring oh me my, my ass back. <laughs> Bring me my fish ass. <laughs> Bring my ass back. I want the scene with the with all the the religious leaders and Robert Picardo, oh God, the yes. rabbi, just trashing him all. He's like, "Well, no, he's not the son of. He's not any kind of god at all." And God used to be angry. What? He got over it. <laughs> <laughs> and of course the big scene that i loved is the gene kelly dance number yeah it's with it's channing beautiful. tatum yeah oh and i'm pretty sure that is him singing although i couldn't find on the credit in in the final credits but it sounds like him if it's not him it's a good voice match mm-hmm. i am here to tell you he's not a very good tapper oh <laughs> I'm, I'm i'm sorry to say this he does a good job of faking it but um, the way he taps, it's like, oh, you learned to tap for this. Mm-hmm. You have never taken tap before. Be- his ankles are just too stiff. That said, the choreographer. The choreography is amazing. Oh, my gosh. Wow. So <laughs> his name is Chris Gatelli, And here's a really amazing. I've never heard of this guy. Mm-hmm. I've got to look him up and find out what else he's been doing because that was some top notch shit. Yeah. It was both really stylistically appropriate and yet also fresh and new so like, creative i i loved it so so much how great was the thing with the tablecloths huh yes yes that was so <laughs> great and like the cleverness the and it's simple things like the mm-hmm. way they were dancing and then the way they'd break apart everybody like there were just lovely little moments of like that is really beautifully staged mm-hmm. and that's a and Channing, of course, he can do no wrong. And don't get me wrong; I'm not bitching. I'm not bitching that he's not a real tapper. I'm saying he's a good enough dancer that he he figured out how to 
how to fake tapping. And that's not easy. Right. And I can tell he doesn't actually know how to tap by the way his feet move. But he knew he is a good enough dancer to fake it. And so I'm not dissing him at all. And you could give me more of those chiseled features and luscious <laughs> lips any day. And he looks really good with that blonde. He Like, Arian Channing Tatum is... <laughs> A Greek god. He's beautiful. He's beautiful. He is. He's a Teutonic god. Like, ah. I love that this movie came along at this point in my life because, you know, doing the Real Education Noir podcast, we just about every other episode we're talking about the Hollywood blacklist. Oh, yeah. And uh, the, the communists invading Hollywood and all that fun stuff. And that whole era, just seeing all the references to that just peppered throughout and just kind of this awesome blend of real and made up characters like Eddie Mannix was a real guy but um, you know clearly you know one of the characters is named Carlotta Valdez who was the dead woman in Vertigo yes. ah. that was the, the character name and there are a few other things like that there and, and of course you know Tilda Swinton is obviously head of Hopper you know both of her oh my god yes, both that was suits. wait her you were suits. just here yes <laughs> Oh God! Did we did we notice her suits? Oh, and her hats, hats. and how the oh, hats? Uh huh. Oh, I want them. I want to be tall and thin so I can wear them like that. Wow. <laughs> oh. oh my God. Yeah. Oh, and Jonah Hill, small part, but beautifully underplayed. Just the constant I'm bonded, Miss. Pretty much all the people who show up for like one scene are all just brilliant. Yes. Yeah, and there are a lot of them. <laughs> But they're yes. all brilliant. Like, this was as cameo-heavy as Zoolander 2 in its own way. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Did we all notice in the credits, this motion picture contains no visual depiction of Godhead? Yes. No, I did not <laughs> notice that. That was, that was in the credits. Uh... It contains no visual depiction of Godhead. I love the Coens so much. Oh. I don't, is it is it their best? No, it's Mm-mm. not cohesive enough for that. But it's it's a love letter to classic film and is beautiful. Yeah, it's gorgeous. And Th- this is see yeah. it in the theater. Actually, I would yeah. recommend it. I really would, especially for the big theatrical numbers in it. Yeah, and to and to just kind of immerse yourself in that cinematography because it. I mean, Roger Deakins has done more showy cinematography than this but this is just like pitch perfect restrained yet it's warm and just perfectly composed and just it's every frame is art it's gorgeous just and so gorgeous recapturing that feel mm-hmm. of what it, what films looked like then and the reason why we love films from that era because they're they're so thick and deep and rich and saturated and yeah yeah the 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 quality of color is very technicolor yeah yeah and it's not it's it doesn't feel like they i mean i'm sure there was digital color correction all over the place but it doesn't feel like you know half of movies out there it's like oh you put this through the blue filter and thought it looked better right okay i see what you did there and you know the whole movie looks blue but no this just looks like that sumptuous technicolor and it's just lush and the greens are extra green the yellow is extra yellow Uh, yeah the greens it's the greens that pop for me yeah 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 Oh, mm-hmm. so my uh, double feature pairing for this film, mm-hmm. Trumbo. Yes, very good. 
Very good like, choice. The, the, this, these, those two go together. They do. Very definitely. They really do. <laughs> Trumbo was on my list and was going to go with the documentaries at Riverview, and they stopped showing it on Thursday. Oh, God damn it. I know. I was going to. I'm like, hey, it'll be perfect. I'll watch it back to back, and it's gone. <sighs> I do want to say uh, a story that um, of watching this movie, mm-hmm. the overheard conversation of the people next to me. Okay. So Tim and I are at this movie. Uh, this is for Hail Caesar. And we're sitting next to a group of like five, I'd say maybe 18, 19 year old girls. I want to know why they were there in the first place. Ah, uh, yeah. But they, they were there. So let's just all but be they were, glad. Okay. We're all, yeah, they're there. Yeah. They're having a good time. You know, they're doing an occasional chit chatty thing going through the movie, but whatever. It's not like it was real too distracting, but they're doing a little chit chatty. And then. I suppose it's a slight spoiler, but considering everything else we talked about, so during the uh, the Aryan boat scene, for mm-hmm. the lack of a better term, and the submarine comes up, clear as a bell, one of the girls from next to me is like, oh my god, is that the Titanic? <laughs> wow. <laughs> At which point in time, the girl, the one of the girls next door is like, shut Oh! First of all, excuse me, it was, no, shut up! And you could tell from her, the tone of voice that there was panic of the, you know, that was loud. Man, you sound dumb as a box of rocks, <laughs> and you're with me. And I don't want to be judged by somebody who thinks a 1940-something submarine is the Titanic. <laughs> Just shut <laughs> Well, it's in the water. I the know. submarine's in the water. Titanic's... Under the water, you know, other side of the continent, but, but you know, a, a different time. All boats are Titanic. <laughs> All boats are Titanic. Yeah, it, it was just yes. The, it's Titanic too. It's a sequel. Don't worry about it. <laughs> <laughs> All right, listeners, that was our recap of the films that we saw during our own personal Xanus in a holidays. Melissa, you were going to let us know what other films some of our listeners watched. Oh, yes, I was. Give me one moment. I have to open my thing. All right. So I got messages from a few of our listeners. Pam Nail, this was her full comment. I saw The French Connection for the first time today. Awesome. Another classic crossed off my shame list. I also watched Amy and What Happened, Miss Simone. And in a violent cinematic mood swing, the best little whorehouse in Texas. <laughs> that is. Oh, That's my God. Awesome. Which was far better and more charming than I'd always been led to believe. Oh, no. Best little whorehouse is actually kind of sweet. Yes. But and, uh, good for you, Pam. Yeah. yeah. All right, Pam. And then Brian, um, I know one of our fine Brians, Mr. Donahue, I know he watched Crawl. Along with Dr. Fibes Rises Again, I think you probably watched a couple of other things, but uh, I didn't see those on our hashtag. And Miranda said she was going back to the theater to watch Deadpool. Yay! Yay, Deadpool love! Hold on. Correction? She was going back to see Deadpool again. Yes. <laughs> Duh. I was joined by Mike Salters for The Witch and for Hail Caesar, and Antonio Quintero came out and joined us for Hail Caesar as well. Cool. And so did my mom. Yay, mom. Yay, mom. So mom was all like, no, that wasn't really John Wayne. It was more like maybe Tom Mix or um, let's see who else. Gene Autry. I really felt like there was a Gene Autry. I love yeah. my mom because she knows these 
She knows all these actors better than I do. <laughs> so, listeners, uh, I don't know how often we're going to declare a Xanus in a holiday. I feel like annually is minimum. I, I was thinking like every four months because then you hit like the run up to the Oscars, you hit the summer movies, and then you get the going into winter films. Yeah. Three times a year? Three times a year. Yeah, that's good. I like that. I like right. this plan. I'm okay. excited to be a part of it. I'm right. glad to be a part of it. I see I'm just inserting myself here. I'm going to be bl- glad to be part of it. Awesome. Right? <laughs> I, I, we would love to have more of you come talk about your Xanus in a holiday if you'd like to be on the podcast. we would. That would be awesome. Um, so, yeah. Uh, movies. Yeah, we love I, them. There is nothing quite like getting to just spend a day immersing yourself in the experience. I, it's something I love about Fantastic Fest. It's something I love about Butnamathon. And I, I know it, it's weird to some people, like, how do you do that all day? But I love it. It's a, it's a different kind of gorging. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And getting to go out into the theater is so much different than just sitting down and binging on, on Netflix. It yeah. is like, so I'm, I'm glad I get that opportunity. I'm grateful I've got family that supports me doing it (laughs) hi i'd like to skip out on being a parent or any kind of useful member of our family for a whole day thanks (laughs) well everybody needs a day off now and then it's a day i just like call it a mini convention you know you're going off for a little mini convention yeah and you're back at night it's fine it's fine (laughs) (laughs) what it's fine it's It's fine. fine i don't have a problem I don't have a problem. I can control it whenever I want. All right. So let's have some uh, Pleasure Dome recommendations, ladies. Are you, either of you got one? Mm. I do. I do. Go for oh, it, Pat. Go See, for actually, it, Pat. I have two, but I'm, it, I should probably just limit it to one. But one's a movie, one's a podcast. So the uh, podcast I just found is called Criminal. Mm. Oh. Yes. And it is done, I think, on uh, it's one of the public radio ones. I think, or it's related to that that oeuvre. Yeah, it's about twenty minutes each, uh-huh. and they're mm, on, I like that. I know they're just lovely little samples, and uh, some of them are about criminal cases. Okay, uh, some of them are about concepts. I'm currently binge listening to them. I think I've gone through about half of them, but it's only. I think there's only like thirty five or forty. So. And they go pretty quickly. So, mm-hmm. like, I listen to one on the drive here. And you know what I'm going to do on the drive home? Listen, listen to another one! <laughs> Perfect. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, there, it's a really fun little one that I – it was a recommendation on another podcast I was listening to. Like, hey, you should listen to this. And I went, I'll try it. And I went, download all. <laughs> <laughs> What's the movie you recommend? Uh, the movie I recommend actually is the Peanuts movie. Just saw it with the kids about two weeks ago. Huh, really? Yeah, actually it was. It was really sweet. For anyone who grew up with the Charlie Brown Christmas special and, well, let's face it, the 60 other Charlie Brown specials of whatever they are, will really adore this movie. It is, it's computer done, it's 3D, and yet there are so many touches to it that it's still Charles Schultz's characters. You know, Snoopy's eyes you know when he's looking slightly sideways they're both still on the left side of his head excellent so it's not like you have one on one side and one on the other if he's looking off to the side no and whenever he uh like snoopy clasps his little paws together they're together but on one side of his nose Mm -hmm. so it's all these little details that just make it and it's there's so many homages to the little red-haired girl across the road and um 
Snoopy being just all of his various characters of, you know, the the Red Baron, or not the Red Baron, because he's the World War One flying ace going after the Red Baron. Right. It was just, it was charming and sweet. And I know almost nobody will see this <laughs> because it was, you know, the Peanuts movie. Mm-hmm. But it was it was regarded really well. It was in the it was in the Riverview, and so yeah. we said, "Hey, let's just go. Let's take the boys there, get some real popcorn." And we had a great time. Awesome. And it was again. It was just like I was smiling through the whole movie, and I smiled for the next like half hour. Yeah. It was just a fun. Hey, yeah, that's high praise. Excellent. Yeah. Is it you know gonna win any awards? No. Should it win any awards? No. But it's fun. So, yes, that's my movie recommendation. Excellent. All right. I got a Pleasure Dome recommendation. Go for it. I'm so sorry. My Hamilton obsession keeps continuing. (laughs) 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 Wendy. Melissa, this is so cool, though. There's a podcast called Pod for Ham where they get together a small panel and they talk about each of the songs on the soundtrack and oh, they nice. they deconstruct it they talk about like what their understanding is things they notice musically what's going on with the play with the characters etc it's so it's like listening to a convergence panel and each episode is uh, the tracks in order and they've only done the first three because they're it just started mm-hmm. there's 45 tracks on the album <laughs> really yeah. Mm-hmm. So yeah. what's the name of it again? Pod for Ham? Pod for Ham. And the four is the numeral four. Pod for Ham is the name of the podcast. So, um, yeah, so you, you're not that far behind. They've only done the first three, but it also means you can, you're going to have to wait for the next ones. But I'm really enjoying because it's like listening to other people having the conversations that I'm heavy <laughs> and they're pointing out stuff that I haven't noticed okay. or, you know, like, or I'm like, oh, hey, th- that, that ties in with something that I saw or, or they bring up other things that I can then pull in. I, I know I'm obsessed with Hamilton. I know, but it is <laughs> such a rich foundational text. It is so groundbreaking on so many levels. There are so many different ways to approach why it is a work of true genius that every time I think I'm kind of done, something else pops up and then I'm like, oh shit, that's amazing. Now I got to go do that now. (laughs) So pod for ham. I know it'll one of these days, I promise. (laughs) I promise. You'll run out of Hamilton stuff to talk about. Because there will be another one. <laughs> yeah, Hamilton 2, the sequel? Yes! <laughs> In the afterlife. <laughs> Guys, you don't know the half of it. Jefferson was a real jerk. Oh, I know. Like, this is really going to shake things up for a lot of people, man. <laughs> no, no, it won't. Well, for those of us in the know, but like, <laughs> but I mean, Jefferson's got like this huge thing for him, like huge monument in Washington, D.C. What does Hamilton get? Nothing. Jefferson was a tool. <laughs> See, it's not fair. So not fair. I know that it's never going to live up to the hype now, but if you, if you just like listen to it with your ears open and allow it to come into your heart like Jesus and it could change it could light your life up in a way and show you the true path I can't what it's maybe I'm a little evangelical what it's okay I can stop anytime <laughs> Melissa what's your recommendation so uh around on Facebook a few days ago uh I 
stumbled across a clip from the Carol Burnett show. Oh, yes. Mm-hmm. And it's Carol Burnett, and she introduces Roddy McDowell. Oh, my God. And, and Roddy this. McDowell comes out on stage in his full, in a, in a full beautiful suit and his Planet of the Apes makeup. Yes. <laughs> and Carol Burnett, of course, you know, is playing up. She wasn't expecting him to show up looking like an ape. Does he know he looks like an ape? Yeah, she was. Uh, and there's this beautiful little comedy routine they do where, you know, Carol is kind of weirded out like this. And she's trying to hint that maybe you've got a little something on your face. Uh, have you looked in a mirror? You know, that sort of thing. <laughs> and um, and he's, of course, playing, you know, against her. He's wonderfully comic. He's wonderfully charming. And then they wind up doing a little dance together, a little... Uh, ballroom dance and it's so cute it is carol burnett was one of the most amazing comedians and roddy mcdowell is right up there with her and uh, their timing is lovely so i really like it now we'll link it in the show notes bravo yes all right listeners this has been Xanadu Cinema Pleasure Dome, and this has been our recap of our wonderful Xana Cinema Holiday. We hope that you will find time in your own life for a cinema holiday very soon. But until next week, uh, we bid you fond movie watching. Bye-bye. Bye. Bye. Thank you for joining us in the Xanadu Cinema Pleasure Dome. Our theme song was written by Tim Wick and Jeffrey Brown and recorded and mastered by Chad Dutton. New episodes arrive every Thursday. You can find us on iTunes and on Stitcher. You can also visit us at XanaduCinema.com, follow us on Twitter at XanaduCinema, and like us on Facebook at Xanadu Cinema Pleasure Dome. Do you need a pee break? Uh, no. <laughs>